Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. What's up, everybody? It's the Helping Friendly Podcast. My name's RJ. I'm here with Jonathan and Brian. They, they have perfect attendance on this show so far, um, and I don't. But thank you guys for covering for me last week. How are you guys doing? Not bad. Not bad. Doing great. I will get my uh, certificate at the end of the HF pod season. Well, you know, there's still many weeks to go, or a couple weeks <laughs> to go. So we'll see how it works out. Okay, so guys, we are going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about this this Trey Anastasio band tour, the, the No Repeats tour, um, in a little while. Um, you guys didn't get my joke, or you didn't acknowledge it? <laughs> just let it go. We, I get it now. Trying to keep it tight, RJ. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just looking at last night's set list, the last night of the tour, and I was like, wow, that's the 17th moment dance in 17 shows, which is cool. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And so we'll it's also that. like all of them are 20 minutes long, but we're not allowed to talk about that right now. First, we're going to talk about something else. But but even before that, we're going to tell you that <laughs> the show is brought to you by our friends at Shift Genuine Cannabis. We are all really excited to get back to fall tour, which or t- back to tour, which will be fall tour starting. Um, I guess that starts next week, huh? 
Is that it's wild? Cal- yeah, end of next week. Wow, calendars it's are insane. tricky. T- calendars are tricky. Trey's taking a lot of time off as usual in between tours. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He went straight from straight from summer to tab and now straight to fall. So, um, man, there's going to be it's going to be interesting after this the way this tab tour has has developed. Um, we wanted to spend some time talking about another fall tour that that we all really liked some of us more than others um and we're we're going to talk about the fall 2018 tour um we're going to go through it sort of you know with some highlights and and some discussion about it but um one thing i didn't realize guys is that this is it was it was a fairly short tour i think it was 14 shows between between albany and and vegas so it, i guess that's probably about the size of of this of the fall tour 2021 right more or less yeah it's like a two week two week stretch yeah, it's right in line with what they've been doing since the start of uh, 3.0 with these kind of like two-week October tours that lead up to Halloween. So where should – do you guys want to just – should we just dive in? Because this is a – I think this is a pretty interesting tour, and there's a lot lot to talk about. Should we dive in? Sure. Should I, should I go ahead and start then? We, uh, we start the tour in Albany at the Times Union Center on October 16th, and um, – I'm going to be brief on this this little run. Uh, I, I I listened to a lot of it, and there are some some highlights and some very 2018 stuff. Overall, it's good playing, solid playing. Um, I think that one of my favorite bits of that two night run is the 20 years later. Um, it is you probably heard me talk this summer, right? About like really wanting 20 years later to go deep. This one stretches out it doesn't do it the way i'm i'm asking for though trey so it's not like you've done it before uh i want him to go dark and deep this one this one doesn't because it's 2018 so a lot of the jams are fairly bright in tone if that makes any sense to anybody out there a pretty good show of life um, I know people don't love that song but they're kind of wrong and this one in particular uh, placement is good after the 20 years later and it's nice extended it's well played well sung uh, my daughter who was in the car with me when I listened to it thought it was too long uh, but that's <laughs> what she's gonna do um, and a pretty good everything's right on the first night and it's a good way to start tour I think um, yeah. Everybody had to be pretty psyched. Night two, uh, what do we get? We had a Chalk Dust Torture, I think is really my highlight. The Set Your Soul Free, I don't really quite know how long that gets off the top of my head now. But uh, I, I'm big into this Chalk Dust, 16 minutes. It's well-contained. Uh, nice little, like, flies off the handle for a little bit. But then they dial it right back and land beautifully, which is something they've done very well this year, this past summer. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it's a really good one. Brian, I know you like these shows. You have, you want to throw out any thoughts before I move on to Hampton? I think you got the highlights right. I mean, I, I love the show of life, the 20 years later, the night before. I think my my biggest thoughts on this tour, I, I felt like summer 2018 was a little bit up and down. I don't feel like the band totally knew how to follow up the Baker's Dozen, such a huge statement on their career. And I think it was almost expected coming out in summer 2018 that they were going to have 
a bit of growing pains after a monumental event like that. And we heard that. However, the great aspects of summer, 18, uh, summer 2018 that I go back to are you talk about like the brightness and the jamming. And that was definitely there, that carryover from the Baker's Dozen where every jam kind of had to go to a heroic D major peak. The thing I liked about summer 2018 that leads into fall is the backside of the jams. They would peak it and rather than that be the end of the jam, and the Alpharetta Carini is probably the best example of this, they would go into kind of a demented riff that would lead them into more rhythmic playing. And you start to hear that in the 20 years later, start to hear that a little bit in the chalk dust. So yeah, good little run to open the open the tour up. Yeah, and then they go to Hampton. And as everybody knows, Hampton is terrible. Don't show up at Hampton when Fish plays. Just, you know, we'll, we'll represent so they don't feel lonely, but it's fine. You don't have to pilgrimage to Hampton. Right, RJ? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess just I just want to say about Albany. I mean, that first show you mentioned, Jonathan, really strong tour opener. And um, even those jams that you mentioned on the second night, uh, these five shows between Albany and the Three Hamptons are all really pretty solid shows. And um, I guess when I go back to these tours, for some reason, I, I still find myself asking, like, I wonder why they were playing so well or why it was like seeming to work so well. And it's not really that, you know, smart of a way to, to think about it because they're kind of always good. But do you guys think the the prep for this Halloween in 2018 was, was part of the reason they came out, like, kind of raging? Um, because the improv was really impressive and, and f- like, really pretty tight, I thought, from, from the beginning of the tour. The longstanding rumor of Halloween is that a lot of those songs were taken from uh, initial kind of sculpture jams for the curveball late night set. And so it felt as though they were already in a position where they were thinking kind of outside the box from a musical standpoint. And then they applied those jams to songs. My impression was that just kind of carried over. Plus, you know, we are talking about a year where they had a festival essentially ripped away from them that they had spent a year planning. And at that point in time, they're, I would imagine motivated to come out in the fall. They're playing on the East coast, going out to Las Vegas, you know, to, to end it all. There's just like a lot of factors that, that from my perspective would lead to a high quality tour from the start. Well, you got to bring up curveball, dude. Some of us are still hurting. Um, I'm just setting the table. I'm not trying to rehash old wounds. I would say that the, the day after that, the, the night when curveball, um, was called off. Jonathan and I were definitely hurting, and I'm hurting less now than I was that day. But but I'm still hurting on the inside, marginally less. Marginally. Um, so let's but, talk about Hampton. Yeah. Um, then, then we got to go to Hampton, which was really fun. Right, and we had uh, pretty much our curveball crew together at Hampton. So that was also yeah. that was pretty rad. Um, RJ and I were there together with a group, good group of people, and. Let's see. First night. First night is good, right? First night has this golden age. I just want to talk about the golden age because that is kind of an exception to the bright jamming I was talking about earlier. This one gets weird. It's um, kind of like the, uh, I don't even know. It's kind of a mechanical sound noises coming through this one. It's really wild. It is one of my favorite jams of 2018, certainly of this tour. And I, I, I believe I probably said said as much then when we talked about it on a podcast, I think called The Helping Friendly something or other. And um, <laughs> yeah, the, it, it's great. And you hear the, uh, the shipwreck quotes as they go into Twist. Um, also, this split open and melt that ends set two, I, I want to backtrack everything and say this might be my favorite jam of the little run here because <laughs> this split open and melt is way underrated. I'm going to just put it out there. I don't know where people rate it, but I think it's outstanding and it is an exemplary jam and and good on them to close a show with it. Night two is 1020. Uh, this show is not a very long first set uh, song wise, but the... Good Runaway Jim in the first set, but for me, it's really, of course, it's the tweezer, right? It's a a pretty good tweezer, you guys. It gets out there. It gets a little weird. It's got some nice melodic bits. It gets quiet, um, 
and goes into dirt and, and a tweezer into dirt. Come on, come on. That's cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, I also yeah. like the classic nice Oki Paws Susie pairing on the end of the show. Um, solid Fluffhead, you know, Tila. It's just good material, fun shows. We were having a great time. I think we were having a great time. Were you having a great time, RJ? Yes. <laughs> Very accurate retelling. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and then 1021 was, uh, I'm pretty sure this was RJ's 100th show. Yeah, that's right. I have a sticker here somewhere to prove it. And it that was a blast. So I, I think Fish played also, but we had a good time. <laughs> double, I mean, double encore. Like what else, what else could you possibly hope right? for? Right, yeah, no. Um, you know, and I like legit double encore, which which really doesn't happen very much. That was such a fun night. I mean, they well, love playing at Hampton. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love it? Who doesn't? I don't know. But we have to talk about the simple because this yeah. was this was a perfect example of the huge, bright major jam peak, and this was a beautiful example of it. And um, nice long version of simple, and really. I don't know what is it about. It's like 17, 18 minutes in. It just hits this high, high note and high point, and the room exploded. Uh, we exploded. Um, I, I was right beside RJ, and I don't like his arm. He must have dislocated his shoulder, reaching for the sky in excitement. Like it was, it, it was awesome. Uh, I, and I'm not reviewing the show anymore. I'm reviewing my experience. Um, but it still holds up on tape too. So there you yeah. go. There's my homework, guys. Did you do your listening? Um, I just <laughs> want to say that no. Um, yes, of course <laughs> I did. But 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 in a different time frame. Um, who doesn't like Hampton? I mean, it's it's three nights: a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Perfect setup for an amazing weekend, and and we we took advantage of it. That's all I'm going to say. Shh. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> the, the simple, the, the simple to me is the is the that's my highlight of the tour. Um, I think you're right. Like the, obviously the peak is great. It's a great like triumphant peak, but it's also like kind. It's a pretty big adventure. Like it goes through multiple different points. There yes. is like a kind of weird, you know. Uh, there, there's some like dark dark vibes there, and then it then it just kind of smoothly goes into this the bliss portion and the peak is just incredible. I kind of forgot that it was like in the middle of the first set. I mean, that was outrageous. Right. No, it sounds like, you know, high, it, it, if you listen to it standalone, there's no reason to believe that it's not like, you know, late in the second set, you know, going to be followed by a ballad and then a possum to close the show or some something, you know, it's like, it feels like that. It It's that mature a moment musically. And you're right. They cover a lot of other ground before they get there. And I think that helps sell the peak all the more. You know, if they just, you yeah. know, playing simple, 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 and then bing, peak, it would be cool, but it wouldn't be as cool. This is a fully earned peak. Yeah. Everything about this jam is like, it's 21 minutes of, like, it feels as though it was written beforehand the way that they play it. Every, every like, riff is perf- works perfectly. Fishman builds it up at the right time. It's just an amazing jam. Brian, you what are what are your you love this tour, um, and well, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think you told me that. Um, what's your? I did. Now we're we're halfway through, I guess after you know set five shows or so, or then there's two in Nashville. How are we feeling about the tour at this point, and and what are your impressions up up through the end of Hampton going into Nashville? Yeah, I remember thinking that the tour was, it was reminding me a lot of um, fall 2016, uh, starting to have hints of fall 2013, just in the sense that, like I was saying, it, the, the band was playing the right venues. I love hearing fish in mid-October. There's just a different sound to them in the in the summertime. Uh, I was going to the Vegas shows, so I was pretty interested in what ways they were playing and they were approaching this tour. And I was listening really closely and just remember show by show. And this first show in Nashville is a perfect example of it. Just being more impressed with, uh, the, the depths of creativity that they were showcasing. Um, they show up in Nashville for two shows midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, 
one thing I remember from this tour was we knew coming out of Hampton that they had not closed the tweezer with a tweezer reprise. So we had an idea was probably going to come in Nashville. It opens up the Tuesday night show in Nashville before moving into um, what I've always called a classic barbecue set, the type of fish set that you could put on when there's non fish fans at your house, they would enjoy the music. There's nothing that goes too crazy off the deep end that you have to explain. You can kind of have on in the background. Just a really fun little set, not really essential re-listening, but just like a fun set to, to, to kind of throw on if you want to hear some fish without diving deep. The second set, on the other hand, is probably my favorite set of the entire tour. Uh, I will just read it really quickly and then talk quickly about it. But uh, Mike's Ghost, Everything's Right, Set Your Soul Free, Circus, Week Apog. It is one of those compact sets. You press play on Mike's song and you're not letting up until Week Apog ends. Uh, Mike's goes into a jam off of the first segment of the jam. It does not, it never moves into the second Mike's jam, which leads to a really cool jam. I think it's in C sharp. Um, someone out there who knows music better than I will have to, uh, confirm that. Uh, it then moves into ghost, which is my favorite jam of the entire tour. And the only way I can explain the ghost is that it sounds like Mike and Trey are fighting each other in the best way possible. Both want to be in the lead of this jam. And so both are throwing out these kind of weird riffs and then combating each other with their, with their next follow-up riff. It's a fascinating conversation. I can't think of any fish jam from this era that sounds anything like it. Um, every like, Every bar of that entire jam just sounds more and more interesting and like Mike and Trey are competing for the lead in a really cool way. from our friends at Shift Genuine Cannabis. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Everything's right. Set your soul free. You've got two new songs back to back that go into really cool territory before a perfect breather with circus and then we could to end it as set. It's, it's just a really fascinating second set. It's a full set Mike's groove right there too, which is nice to see. Full set Mike's groove. Kind of old school in its way, despite the newer songs being tucked in the middle there. Uh, pretty good set. Pretty good set. Every show of this tour delivers though. Every, every show is like worth listening to. It's, 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 it's pretty intense. There's like, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in all of these shows. It's really, really pretty awesome. 
There is. Moving into the second show, I believe they offered a free webcast this night, so a lot of people were paying attention on Twitter. Uh, cool Soul, Pl- Soul Planet opener that fades into 2001. Set one ends with a really unique bathtub gin that's about half speed, and they go into like a kind of bizarre second jam before closing the second set or before closing that uh, that um, uh, the first set down. The second set... I re-listened to this. I didn't love it in the moment. It felt like a lot of jams that were cut off just to play another song, but it's one of those weird sets that holds up a little bit better a couple of years out than it did in the moment. It's not nearly as interesting as the night before, but it definitely has moments that are worth revisiting. I enjoy the sense and subtle sounds as well as the hairy hood. No intro on the sense worth noting, but no intro on the sense, which I, I feel like we need the intro. I mean, I, I'm. If they want to drop into the proper portion of the song without the intro out of a jam, I think I'm okay with that. If they're going to be at a full dead stop, then they should do the intro. That's kind of where I stand with that. But I could be it's the only analysis. one. I mean, I definitely know some people get upset yeah. when they skip the intro. But fish is going to fish. Fish will fish. I've I've heard of that happening. Um, what 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 hat? There's so much to listen to. How are our listeners supposed to keep up with this, Brian? What, what, what? Can we publicly share your playlist? Yeah, I will share my massive 2018 playlist that uh, includes fantastic bits off of uh, fall 2018. I would recommend listening to just like the highlights in full. There's so much there. You know, yeah. I have a I have a uh, fall highlight set a list that's a, like a couple hours long. I think it has maybe seven songs in it. Maybe we should share that one. That could work too. You're going to miss a few things for sure, but it's got some stuff. I will try to compact Allstate into a brief statement that this is our Friday, Saturday, Sunday run right ahead of Vegas. They would take Monday, Tuesday off and start in Vegas on the following Wednesday. Uh, First time playing Allstate since 2003. You get three very different shows. I think the Friday night show is probably the strongest overall. Uh, Fish actually played this on a dinner and a movie in summer 2020. Really good Mercury. The first time Mercury really stretched its legs. Amazing tweezer golden age segment that runs about 35, 40 minutes in full, uh, holds up much. Like I remember loving it in the moment, but then listening back to it, there's so much there that the band does. Um, the following night though, includes a no man in no man's land that is about 26 minutes long is right in line with what Jonathan was talking about with the golden age. It's mechanical. And around this time, there was a crazy rumor that started that the band was going to cover an album by the band, the residents yeah. on Halloween <laughs> and that you could tie the no men's and the golden age as this like weird abstract outer space sound that the band was toying with. Um, it's a really cool jam though, regardless of the fact that they ended up writing their own album to debut. Um, it, they fall into this riff that they just distort and kind of play around with. And then they land in steam in just this perfect segue. And uh, it's just a, it's a really cool jam and a show that's a little bit up and down. Um, the following night has some really cool moments. The everything's right. That opens up is really solid. There's a great tube jam, but the highlight of the second night has to be Carini into no quarter, which is a 12 minute type two, no, no quarter. Highly recommend people go back and listen to that perfect segue into cities and then later in the set you have a twist what's the use twist followed by another surprise type 2 jam in plasma and then a fluffhead encore they i think this is these these jams particularly the night before the saturday night the no men i think that's when you're really like hearing the the casvat vox kind of like yeah sound coming through which we, we had no idea at that moment but um you know that's it's pretty cool that they these over these what 11 10 shows up to this point um really 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 a lot of stuff to go back to um and then of course they close out the tour with four nights in vegas and i was thinking about the the kind of the the runs where they lead up to halloween versus where they start with halloween and i think a lot of that you know is obviously just scheduling and not by some grand design but this one like we i was at this night and and the following night 31st and the November 1st 
And that was just like really right out of the gate. You're like, <laughs> this is some, some crazy, crazy shit with Casbot Vox. Um, really fun three set show. And and then you have like three shows after that just to kind of like, you know, they, they were able to kind of like kick back and I think just enjoy themselves to a certain degree. Um, do you guys have thoughts on like those two structures or do you have a preference or, or anything that you observe based on either? I wouldn't express a preference, but I do think there is something to be said. Um, there's definitely something there to the notion that if they play the Halloween show and then they have a show or two, or in this case, three shows after, um, the pressure's off. You know they're looking forward to it. You know they're rehearsing for it. You know they're thinking about it. Particularly like uh, when they did the wingsuit, for example, it was, you know, they had the they played the first also. You know they were st- nervous about the wingsuit Trey's expressed this late you know since then you know like ah we didn't know what you think we are so glad you guys are so kind da, 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 da. and they play the next night and it's they throw down and uh and I think I think you get an element of that here that said I also love the anticipatory buildup of a full run that ends with Halloween uh very excited for this one that's coming up um so I go either way that's not helpful is it well, I'll just say quickly to yeah. break the to break the tie. I prefer Halloween on night one with the two to three shows after. I prefer a standard 28, 29, 30, 31st New Year's. Okay. I think those two is kind of like, you know. I think this. I want to have the build up to New Year's. The, the travel, definitely agree with that. I think that's totally fair. I think the travel, at least for for this one, like this was the travel. Like we, I think several people that I know and maybe almost everyone traveled the day of the 31st so like if you're coming from the east coast by the time you get to set three it's like you know two two in the morning eastern time you've been traveling since six in the morning eastern time and it's like in some ways it's like the lead up like this year will be the 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 lead up to halloween which i'm looking forward to because i think it'll give fans a little bit more of an opportunity to like get ready for the last night but but i think musically it's probably better to to just do this, have an awesome show, and then and then move on. Um, but think of all the content we can generate while we're anticipating. <laughs> True, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, this they're this... going to cover this album. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can, we should, we should definitely analyze every jam and and figure out what they're going to do because nobody will be right. Yes. Um, yes. The the Casper <laughs> Vox. We'd have to. We we've had several conversations about it, and I think there was a. Uh, Man, that was a pretty cool thing to to experience, and no one had any idea what was going on, and it was great. Um, I will say the second night, the first, that's my favorite of the run and, and happens to be the other show that I saw, but that that blaze on in, in, to begin set two was just, it was just such a great, um, I don't know, there, there's a lot going on there, and I feel like the, the Halloween stuff sort of carried over into these into these uh these pieces of improv and to start with this blaze on and then end with harry hood that was just like it was such a perfect set and a great great evening um and then there were two more shows and i left and i kind of forgot about the the other two shows until we went back to them but there was a lot happening there including uh including a a big mercury with which i think brian you were really waiting for at that point um and and you got to you got to see that yeah, I loved this November 2nd show. I share your thoughts on the Blazon from November 1st, but uh, the November 2nd show was my favorite one of the of the four-show run. Mercury getting a 25-minute jam midway through set one out of my favorite song of 3.0 was really exciting. And the second set, um, despite the fact that they threw Gaiuti midway through the second set, and usually a composed song doesn't work there from a structural standpoint, I see Jonathan give me a look. I thought it was perfect here. Uh, Soul Planet's great. Disease is great. Sally Light slave to the traffic light and then trey comes out for the encore and says we're going to play a couple old songs because this feels like an old show and the fan base just like anytime trey says anything like that he could be totally wrong everyone's like yeah he acknowledges it so um (laughs) it was just a really fun show the place was rocking it's friday night it was it was awesome yeah i just want to second my thoughts on this mercury there's a reason none of the other mercuries from this tour really make my like highlights list it's because this one is on that same tour and this one's killer and yeah you were you were about to get in trouble with me on your coyote comments but i'll let you pass (sighs) saved it (laughs) (laughs) so uh 
tell me your thoughts on 11.3, because I have like one thing to say, but you've got the content here. I think you know this show better than I do. I think 11.3 is a show that's slightly overlooked, but also properly analyzed. Um, it, in some ways, doesn't feel like a tour finale or a big run finale. But you listen back, there's a lot that's happening there. Uh, the Tube is really good. This was a great, great tour for Tube. Um, I think 2018 as a whole was a really good year for Tube, but especially this tour. Um, the second set has a run of Carini, 46 Days, Sense and Subtle Sounds, Cross-Eyed and Painless, 2001 possum and then split open and melt that I don't think worked perfectly from a structural standpoint. I think that, um, I think that it works kind of in two separate chunks, but I think the way that they close out the second set and essentially the tour with split open and melt that goes about 20 minutes gets into total interstellar space. Like we are past the Kuiper belt. We are just floating in space right now. I remember from my sight line that night, the lights came down and it looked as though the lighting rig was just like brushing Trey's head. Like it was so low on the stage. I have a picture of it that I was just like, I was blown away. And uh, that jam does not get talked about as much as it should. That one, along with a couple months later, the November, or excuse me, the December 30th, 2018, Split Open and Melt from a fantastic show at MSG, both close out the second set and do so in a way that just like puts a stamp on that set as a set of deep exploration. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm here for that Split Open and Melt as well as the, that December 30th one. Um, this is, so the Split Open and Melt on this tour it reminds me, I was thinking about this the other day and thinking about some stuff in 2021 and Split Open and Melt when Fish came back was, shall we say, rocky. It took him a while to find, figure out how to jam in it again. And then they would start to jam in it and it would go wildly off the rails and that was fun and spectacular, but they still had to learn to land it again. And at this point in 3.0, they've got it. Uh, so yeah. right now, looking more at today, I look at songs like Stash. It looks like they've, they're there now with Stash. And I'm, I'm ready. I'm so ready for this progression to be achieved with David Bowie. It can be yeah, done. Too. If they can do this with Split Open and Melt, they can do that with David Bowie. All of these things, they just take time. It takes the band to put their energies into it, put their hearts into it, and you know, and and, and just play it. And Split Open and Melt is a tricky-ass song. David Bowie ends with this crazy flurry of riffs. It's hard to come back to, and as evidenced by the things that they've done. Uh, or not done, uh, and and so I just wanted to use this opportunity to advocate for that. Um, I think there's hope, <laughs> and I really look forward to seeing a really amazing David Bowie at uh, in Vegas. One thing I'll just echo on there, and it's one of the things I like about this tour a lot is. Um, to me, when I listen back to this tour and to much of 2018, I think of Page as really the standout star of the overall tour, the MVP, if you will. Um, he introduced a number of new keyboards in the summer of 2017 for the Baker's Dozen, which really helped to expand their sound. And I found that in 2018, he was just at the top of his game. He knew exactly where to go when a jam needed a new idea to see if it had a couple more minutes in it, to see if there was a new segment within it. And Split Open and Meld is kind of the perfect song to summarize this where you're talking about like early 3.0 split up in a melt was a guaranteed song to go somewhere and the band was going to experiment with it. Oftentimes it did not produce the most listenable music, but it was in some cases in certain shows, the most interesting moments within the show simply because they were letting themselves kind of go. You had interesting moments in um, like the Ju July 6, 2013 split up in a melt is really, really wild. And it really showcases what they were trying to do in 2013. But it wasn't until 2017, 2018 that Paige's keyboards was really able to take the sonic ideas that they were applying to split up in a melt and, uh, and, and add 
musical tones that would really make it listenable, palatable, while also fascinating. And so this version, you hear it now in current Split Open and Melts. The band knows how to dive off the deep end with this with this song and return to it. And you hear it in this version perfectly. So um, there's another thing that we should be talking about today before we let everybody go back to their week. Um, Trey tour has continued. Well, it continued right up through last night. And I mean, last week we talked about it. Things changed immediately after we talked, I think. Um, yeah, they did. <laughs> quite, a, quite a bit. Um, we knew that things were uh, on the bubble if you will, that, you know, things were very close to changing. And sure enough, they did. Um, uh, For those who didn't follow, I guess, Russ tested positive for COVID. Trey played, was it two solo shows? One solo show. One One acoustic show on Tuesday in, I believe, Columbus. And then Fishman, you know, Fishman called him up. John Fishman came in to save the day and jumped in on drums and holy crap! Um, I mean, I people were excited last week. We were excited last week about the sound of the band, how they adapted to not having the horns, and you mm-hmm. know, they you know expanded on some songs. They dropped some from the lineup um, and opened up some of the arrangements, and that was all well and good. And John Fishman shows up. I think they had to drop a couple more songs because I don't think he knows them all. But, oh, man, they blew the doors out night after night. And um, I, I, we don't have to, you know, go through all of the, the shows necessarily. But I, I think we should just acknowledge that there's been some just killer music. Um, Saturday night's Mr. Completely. It's well worth everybody's time. Uh, last night's Everything's Right is really good, but I will draw your attention to the first set from Sunday night. The Ocelot is not like any fish ocelot. Uh, you really got to check it out. It's really great. Uh, Brian, have you been able to keep up with this stuff? Have you been listening? I have. Um, I mean, this is my first tab tour that I listen to every single note of since 2003, and I kept it. I... I I want to be, I want to say, and I think you said this really well, but like, I think it's, we just have to make the point. Like I wish what had happened on this tour hadn't happened because the original tab lineup as of, you know, the one the that I this saw tour with, with Desron joining, um, was onto something that I had not heard from this band in 15, 20 years. And, I loved it. And there were moments from the early part of this tour that I highly, highly recommend anyone go back and listen to. It's it's great with horns. It's great with Russ. I also just want to say, like I said this last week, but the way that Trey and Red Light Management and whoever is making the calls here about this figured out a way to pivot and to keep this thing going in spite of everything saying just cancel the rest of the tour is so admirable and such an incredible... Uh, example of Trey's desire to just give back to people. And, and I was in the crowd uh, of, of saying, 
when when Rust tested positive, like there's got to be something going around this this band. Like let's let's call it. I don't want to risk fish. I don't have those decisions to make, and um, I think ultimately the the decision to keep going on in the music that we got was incredibly special. Um, as you noted, you know when the band showed up in Pittsburgh on Wednesday, we've got a great forty six days, a great blaze on Saturday in the anthem. Uh, I think that was uh, the anthem show on Friday or Friday. Yeah. I, I believe that that was my favorite show of the tour thus far. I need to kind of give them a spin back, but it just felt like the band took a step ahead. They were fully connected. It's a really solid set list, really great No Man in No Man's Land, great Wolfman's in the Encore, really fantastic MOBA dance. Um, And then the Radio City shows are just a lot of jams, really, really deep jamming. And I will echo you, that Ocelot, there's something that they found in that where... Desron goes off in a direction, Trey follows him, and you hear a completely different take on Ocelot. And I just hope, if nothing else, two things. One, there's bleed over from this tour to Fishfall Tour, because it's clear that John and Trey had another opportunity to take a step forward with the jamming that we heard over the summer. And I hope also, this is not the Trey Anastasio band, but whatever this band was deserves an opportunity to see what else they can do. Like the Trey Anastasio band serves a huge, huge purpose. And there's a lot of creative moments within that, that it's clear fuels Trey's songwriting, fuels his passion for playing live. That band should exist. But whatever this band was, I want to hear it again. Like I want to hear what this band can do with a little bit more lead up. Yeah, I mean, I like hearing Fishman with Desron and and Fishman with uh, Ciro. I mean, there's great communication yeah. with those guys. You know, the uh, second set of the Saturday Night Radio City Music Hall show on Fish.net, they have Party Time Ghost Mr. Completely. Live Fish, actually, I think I got it almost right. They call it Party Time Ghost Mr. Completely, Party Time Mr. Completely. Actually, it's Party Time Ghost Mr. Completely drums Party Time Mr. Completely. And a uh, shout out, uh, my friend Brian pointed this out to me, a different Brian, um, pointed this out to me that uh, the shade after Mr. Completely and the uh, lonely trip after Everything's Right last night, he was at these shows, they landed beautifully. And they really do. They fit so nicely in the set. Really beautiful performances of those songs as well. Um, and then... Real quick, I want to talk about the encore from the closing show last night, Radio City. Um, they Trey comes out by himself, plays Strange Design, talks about the tour, talks about everybody, you know, people getting sick and filling in and whatnot, plays Number Line for All My Friends, which is really charming. Then brings out James Casey and the rest of the band. They do Evolve. They do Rise Comes Together, and James sings along with on that one and on Life Beyond the Dream, and so nice. He was touched by it. You could tell that I think the audience from every everything I've read, you know, they were touched by it. I think it was just pretty, it's pretty outstanding um, and uh, sweet moment, and a great way to close a wild, weird, unique tour. Yeah, I hope we don't see a tour like this anytime soon for obvious reasons. Um, but again, um, if, if, if you felt after 2007, 2008, gratitude every time you saw Trey play live and gratitude every time you heard new music from him and from the bands that he was playing with, this tour almost like reaffirmed that just the way that he has been able to dedicate himself to the service of music and to the service of entertainment over the last 15 years, and that be his sole focus and his sole goal is such a gift to all of us. And this tour to me proved it. It's we're in a very weird time. You know, we're able to go and see concerts a year ago. We were not able to go see concerts, but we're able to go see concerts with this like ominous, dark cloud hanging over our head of uncertainty. Like nobody knows what the next six months are going to look like, but at least we have these three hours where people can go to these shows or people like myself who don't live anywhere near where, where Tab was touring is able to 
enjoy these shows and talk about them with friends. I have multiple threads going on talking about tab tour. That is not something I would have expected <laughs> before yeah. this, this, uh, September, October, but yeah, really, really enjoyed these shows. Um, highly recommend to anyone who hasn't listened to them dive in. There's just some really unique music being played and, and we'll see where it leads the bands going forward. Yeah. I, I look forward to next year's tab tour with Desron and, and the horns and everybody coming back. And, uh, and also I'd like yeah. to just, you know, shout out to those players, um, all of them, Jen and Natalie and Jimmy and Russ and, and James, uh, you know, best wishes as, uh, you know, as they get better, uh, get well, yeah. so we can see them out on the road. Um, what else do you think we need to cover here, Brian? Well, I think when we come back next week, we'll be talking a bit about our thoughts as we lead into fall tour, um, which will be very exciting. Um, I will be going to a couple shows this upcoming fall, which I'm really stoked about. I'm going to see Fish in a couple new venues, as well as uh, return to the LA Forum, which I'm very excited about. That is uh, an underrated venue that I wish Fish would... Um, you know, really meet the moment at because there's 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 a lot of opportunity in that venue. It, it feels like MSG if if you were going to, to an MSG show in 1975. So <laughs> really excited to talk fall tour, um, and yeah, I just think uh, we got a lot of good music to dive into here between fall 2018 as well as recent tab tour. There's a lot to keep you occupied for the next week. All right. Well, you heard him, guys. Uh, go do your listening. Get prepped. We will be back next week. Thanks to Shift Genuine Cannabis for having us here and keeping the show on the road. We're not on the road. That's a weird thing to say. But you know what I mean. Until next week. It's a virtual road. <laughs> we'll see you then. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.